seated. Thank you very much, praise team, and thank you again, Logan, for being here to play guitar for us. Um, the other option this week was for me to play. Someone ever, Logan, y'all are laughing already. I haven't even, I haven't even made the joke. Uh, but whenever I talked to Logan, he said, look, if, if that's good for you, I said, well, I think it's good for the church. <laughs> Y'all just turn to Psalm 42, why don't you? <laughs> Psalm 42 and 43 is where we're going to be today. Psalm 42 and 43 go together. I think that'll be clear as we go through uh, this text today. And, and I know that I said that generally during... November. We do Psalms of Thanksgiving, but it'll be clear as we go through Psalm 42 and 43 that this is not a Psalm of Thanksgiving uh, in that sense of categorized, but it is a Psalm that's going to give us something to be thankful for. But it is a Psalm, these, these two Psalms have a lot of lament in them. We're going to see as we're in this text, you're going to see somebody that is hurting, that feels hopeless, that feels abandoned, that feels lost, that feels beat down. Uh, you'll see that as the psalmist writes today. And I know the reason that, that we're doing, looking at these psalms, I feel, this year, is uh, sometimes we need to recognize in our hurt that we're not the only ones that are hurting. Some of you have really hurt this year. We have lost a lot, and we've had to do a lot of things very differently. And it has hurt deeply, and I want you to see that, that you're not the only one that's hurting. I want you to see that even this psalmist writing at the pleasure and direction of God himself is writing clearly about how deeply he hurts. But he's also going to show us where we find hope when we hurt like that. When you hurt deep down, where can we find hope? How can we still hope? And we'll see that in this psalm. So I'm excited to look at it together. Let's begin in Psalm 42, verse 1. You may recognize this from our song earlier. As a, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. 
For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me back to, or let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Father God, your word is good and your word is true and your word is profitable for your people. So I pray today that as we look into this text, Father, that you would be here in your spirit and that you would convict us of things in this text that we are not doing well. Father, that you would call our hearts to praise and hope even in the midst of difficult situations. Father, that you'd allow us to be thankful again for who you are and the promises that you have made to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here clearly, as you go through this text, you can see a little bit of an ebb and flow between lament and, and kind of calling himself to praise and lament and calling himself to praise. But, but we see in this text that clearly this writer feels far from God. He feels rejected by God. He feels abandoned by God. He is longing for God, and he writes that. And again, you have to remember that the Psalms were literally songs. These, this is poetry, and so he's using very poetic language. But he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. As a deer that is thirsty in the middle of summer, how desperately they want water. God, I want you that bad. God, I, I need you. And, and he feels so far from God, and, and he says that, that all he can do day and night is weep. His tears are his food day and night. It never stops. The pain never stops. It never goes away. And on top of that, he's being mocked by his enemy. His enemy is saying to him, where is your God? So he already feels abandoned by God, and he feels alone. And on top of that, people are making fun of him and saying, where is your God? And then in, in verse 6, he, he shows... And what would have made more sense to the original readers than it does to us, this distance, he says, that, that he remembers God from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And, of course, in this day and time, God's physical presence dwelled in the temple in Jerusalem. And the place where the Jordan River started in Mount Hermon was a long, long way from Jerusalem. And he's, he's just, again, showing that, God, I feel so far away from you. And then he shows in beautiful poetic language, verse 7, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And he's showing that because of this distance, he just feels overwhelmed. It's as if water has literally overtaken him. And, and I, can, I can really understand, I think in a way, I can relate to what he's saying here. Some of you have probably had the same experience. Any of you that are... You're beach people. You love to go to the beach, and, and while you're at the beach, you know, you like to wade out in the water, just, you know, maybe waist deeper, just a little bit more, and the waves come in, and they push you back, and you come out, and you jump over them, and you enjoy that. But then, every now and then, 
that one wave comes in that was, was higher than you expect it to be, and it crashes right on you, and it rolls you. If you've ever had that feeling, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It rolls you, and you're underwater, and salt water shoots up your nose, and you feel disoriented because you don't know which way's up, and you don't know which way's down, and, and you're helpless. You're just completely overwhelmed. You're just praying that you can get up and take a breath, and that's what he's saying here. It's as if I've just been completely overwhelmed, God. Like water has just flown over me and taken me, and I don't know what to do. Because of this distance that I feel, God. Because you don't feel close to me. Because I don't feel close to you, God. And then in verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why did I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In verse 43, calls to God. God, vindicate me. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And again, why did I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And so point one is just, I think it's abundantly clear throughout this text. The psalmist felt that God was far from him. And he felt hopeless. Psalmist felt that God was far off. And because of that distance, he feels hopeless. He feels like this deep wound in his bones. He feels like he's overwhelmed. He feels like he is so far away. And, and so he's just hurting. And I know that many of you this year have felt some of these feelings. Maybe today some of you are feeling some of these feelings, right? We talk about it over and over jokingly, but... Not that funny. We talk about the year of 2020, and, and many of you have lost loved ones this year. And this year, many of us have lost loved ones in ways that, that we're not used to. We were separated from them when they left this earth physically and weren't there by their side, and it, the hurt is that much more. And many of you have lost jobs this year. And many of you got a phone call and said, listen, your kids are coming home for school and they're going to do it virtually and, and you've just got to figure it out. I know you've got a job and, and your, your spouse has a job and you can't be home, but you've got to figure it out because this is the way that it's going to be. And a lot of you, you, you love people and you love family and you want to be with them and you want to sit and you want to visit and you want to be in your Sunday school classes. But because of the pandemic, we've been trying to keep distance. We've been trying to have family gatherings even smaller than normal. And, and the pain is real, as it is here for the psalmist. I don't want to wash that away. I don't want to say, oh, well, all those are just figments. So those are real hurts. Those are real pains. Some of you hear what the psalmist is saying here, and you feel that deep down in your bones because it resonates with you, because you have felt these sort of things this, this year, and you have asked God, why have you rejected me? God, why have you abandoned me? God, where are you? And some of you probably did what the psalmist does here, and sometimes this is good, and sometimes it makes the hurt even worse. But in verse 4 of Psalm 42, we see that things haven't always been this way for the psalmist. For this songwriter, it hasn't always been that God felt far off. No, he says in verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He says, so 
we see in the heading of this text that this is one of the sons of Korah, and the sons of Korah were worship leaders. And this worship leader says, look, I can remember the day whenever we went to the temple, and God wouldn't have felt far away at the temple because that's where his physical presence was. And he says, I remember, not only did we come to the temple, but I was leading a group of people, and we were shouting, and we were singing, and we were praising, and everything was good. I remember that day. And some of us are that way. When we hurt, when we lose our loved ones, whenever we lose our jobs, whenever we have to change our routines, we can, we can spend a lot of time nostalgically thinking back to the good old days. I remember when we used to have potluck at church. I remember when on Wednesday nights we would all gather in the fellowship hall before the kids and youth would go to class and everybody had full plates and the tables were full and nobody cared about a social distance and nobody cared about a mask. And it was good. And we enjoyed that. And sometimes thinking on those things can be good and sometimes they can make the hurt even worse because it's not that way now and we want it to be that way now. And so we see this. We see this in the psalmist. There's pain and there's hope. And so what does he do? He calls himself to something in verse 5, and in verse 11, and then in verse 5 of Psalm 43, he says the same thing to himself. Look with me in Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise his name, my salvation, and my God. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise His name, my salvation, and my God. Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation, and my God. So this is what the psalmist is doing. And it's as if he's speaking to himself. He's talking to his soul. And he says, soul, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? Soul, why is it that you feel so cast down? And, and it's strong language. It's, it's very closely tied to the language that Jesus uses the night before his crucifixion in, in the garden. Where it says his soul is downtrodden. And he says that my soul is hurting. And it's as if it's crying and it's moaning and it's groaning. He says, soul, why are you in such anguish? Why are you in such pain? Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. He says it three times. He says, I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And so the psalmist is trying to stir himself up to hope in God. And sometimes we can do that, right? In the midst of hurting, we can, we can hurt and the pain is real and we say, but I should, I should have hope. I should hope in God, right? Things should be good. But we see here that sometimes when we're in the midst of that pain, it can really be hard to make ourselves hope and to make ourselves remember that things are going to be good again. It appears to be hard for the psalmist. He has to say it three times. He says, all these things are bad. Soul, why are you sad? You should be hoping. But all of these things are bad. Soul, you should be hoping. And all these things are bad. You should be hoping. And it's, he's just recurringly trying to stir himself up to hope in God. And that's point two. The psalmist calls on himself to hope in God. He's speaking to his own soul. Soul, hope 
in God. And he tells himself why he should. He says, I know that I'll praise him again. I know that he's my salvation and my God, and I know that I'll praise him again. But I want us to see why this psalmist is so confident. Because sometimes in the middle of the deepest darkness, in the middle of the the worst hurt, it's kind of hard to really be confident that things are going to be better. Right? Even if we know that, if we really know that it won't be this way forever, in the midst of that pain, it's really hard to remind ourselves that, that it is going to be better. So why, how is it that he can be so confident that what we see in Psalm 43, 3 and 4 are going to happen? He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. That's talking about the, the mount where Mount Zion, where the temple was in Jerusalem, bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And so, so he's saying, God, send out your light, right? We think about whenever they left Egypt and as they were going through the wilderness, God was a pillar of fire and light, and he led them in the way he should go. And so the psalmist says, God, you're far away, and I want to be close to you. Send out your light to just bring me back to the temple. Bring me back to your presence. Come and get me where I am and bring me back to yourself. And so there's his hope, but how is it that he's so confident that that's going to happen? I think the key to finding our understanding of the psalmist's hope is in verse 8. I believe verse 8 of Psalm 42 is the key verse in this text. He says, By day... The Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, what is it that's so key in that verse? Well, well, one thing I want to point out is it's the only time in these two psalms that we see him use the word that, that we have as the translation, Lord. You see Lord there's in all capital letters. That's because it's God's personal name. They didn't write God's personal name. Uh, they would abbreviate it, and so we say Lord, but he says Yahweh, right? God has said, my name is Yahweh. This is my personal name. This is the covenant name that Israel would call God by. And so here, there are not, I counted 19 times in Psalm 42 and 43 that the psalmist uses the word God, Elohim. It's just the, the generic word for God. He uses that word 19 times, but only one time does he say God's personal name, right? And there's, there's a big difference in calling somebody by their title and calling somebody by their name. And so this one time that he says, Yahweh, he says, by day, Yahweh commands his steadfast love. And if you've paid attention, we've, we've read texts that say that many times today. In Psalm 106, one that I read earlier, read that God is good because his steadfast love endures forever. And we read, uh, Brother Seth read earlier from Psalm 134. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And again, we see here, why do these psalmists over and over talk about hoping and praising God because of his steadfast love? Because God's steadfast love, what that's talking about is God's promised love. It's his covenant love that he has given to Israel. So he told Israel, you are my people. 
and we're going to enter into a covenant together. And so they enter into this agreement together, and part of God's agreement is that He is going to love them as His children, that these are going to be His people, that He is not going to leave them, that they are not going to be without Him. There may be times of discipline, that there may be times of correction, but that God will not abandon them. And so that's what the psalmist calls on here. When God feels far off, when God feels like He's so far away, The psalmist says, I will praise him again, and I know that I will, because Yahweh, the personal God that I know personally, has promised me a personal love. And I know that he's not going to leave me. I know that I won't be without him. Won't you just listen to these two passages that that describe God and his steadfast love in Exodus 34, when God is... Is speaking to them. He describes himself. This is God describing himself in Exodus 34, 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no means clear the guilty. And then in Psalm 136, and y'all have heard this psalm, it says that God's steadfast love endures forever over and over. I'm not going to read all of it, but just the first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. Forever. Brothers and sisters, God had made it clear the steadfast love, the promised love, the covenant love that He had for His people was not going to leave, was not going to quit, was not going to go away, and they could trust that. And we see here that they did trust that. In the midst of pain and hurting and feeling separated and feeling downcast, what did the psalmist call on? He called on God's steadfast love. Because Yahweh has promised that He will love me, I know, I know that I shall again praise Him because He is my salvation and He is my God. Point three, the psalmist could trust in God because God's faithfulness was never in doubt. How could he hope in the, in the middle of such pain and such hurting, how could he hope? He hoped in God Because even in the middle of his darkest hour, God's faithfulness was never in doubt. There was never any doubt that God was going to be there. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. Our covenant with God is different, right? We have not entered into covenant with God because we are uh, the people of Israel. We have a new covenant that comes to us through the death of Jesus Christ. Whenever we have faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into covenant, into a promised relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to hear. Those of you that are hurting today, those of you that through the midst of 2020 have dealt with so many things and have felt so abandoned and have felt like maybe God's just not here. And I've heard people ask that. Do you think God has just left us? No, I don't. I know that he hasn't. Because, brothers and sisters, the promise of God's covenant love is this, that that God didn't send His own Son to the world to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't send His Son here to live a perfect life and to be a perfect example 
and to die an excruciating, terrible, horrible death, paying the penalty for our sins, and then raise him back to life to abandon us when 2020 got here. He didn't. It's the promise of Scripture that He is not going to leave us. God did not give us the beautiful gospel that we have and tell us to take it and go and make disciples of all nations that we could tell people about Jesus and about His death and about His resurrection and about His love and about how He would give them abundant life here and eternal life to come. He didn't give us all of that. He didn't tell us all of that, promise all of that so that when 2020 got here, He'd say, you know what? No, I'm done. I'm finished. I quit. God's love is no less now than it was in 2019 or when this psalmist wrote these words, brothers and sisters. God's love is still here and it's still real. And when you're hurting and the hurt is real and the pain is real, what can you do? You can remember God's promises to you. You can remember how He delivered us from sin. You can remember where you were before God and where you have come to now. You can remember the promise of eternal life that will be with Him in a beautiful, perfect place forever and ever. Not because we deserve it, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who He is and because of how great His love and His mercy and His faithfulness are. And that's where our hope comes. And it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make the pain any less real, but what it does is it allows us to say, Soul, why are you in turmoil? Why are you cast down? Even in this, hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to hear this clearly and plainly. God has not forgotten you. God has not left you. God still loves you. And I think whenever the the cloud of pain leaves and we can see clearly again, we'll see that no matter what we've been through, that he's been here the whole time. That the distance was not because God was actually far off, but the distance was because we didn't see that he was here. So I pray that if you are hurting, but you know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, that you know that he has not left and he is still here. Amanda's going to come and, uh, and she's going to sing a song that's based on Psalm 43. And so this morning we're, we're not doing an invitation in the sense of, of me standing down here uh, because I'm going to have Jet. But Brother Dusty will stand down here. And if you need to come and speak to someone or for somebody to pray with you, he'll be here. If you need to come and pray at these altars, you can do that. But if nothing else, just listen to the beautiful promise of Psalm 43 saying, as we remember, that we can hope and trust in God no matter what's going on.